Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. This is Dr. Zero, her loving husband Cornelius, and little Milo. The most dangerous to man is little Milo. Why? The time is 1973. The place is right here on Earth. How did they get here? What is their reception? Welcome, gentlemen, to the United States. Escape from the planet of the apes. Their adventures are completely fresh, completely new. Astonishingly different from what you experienced in Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes. At first, feared and imprisoned. We'll take the female first. Well, she seems to be pretty smart. All right, we'll go for the banana. Well, why doesn't she take it? Because I loathe bananas. I don't believe it. Zira, are you mad? Until we know who our friends are and who our enemies... And how in the name of God are we to know that unless we communicate? We can speak, so I spoke. The president convenes a special board of inquiry. Have you a name? Zira. Does the other one talk? Only when she lets me. <laughs> Embraced by our civilization, the nation gives them a hero's welcome. Address, please. The zoo. <laughs> what is it? Well, it's sort of uh, like grape juice plus. How is that? It's certainly the most incredible story this reporter has ever covered. And you share the impact of every incredible moment. Must have been the shock. Shock my foot. I'm pregnant. The president's chief advisor wants them murdered, or else the human race cannot survive. The escape. The birth of an infant who could threaten man's very existence. You're the second human I've kissed. You are the first. The Relentless Chase. The Stunning Climax. Zero, I want that baby. If you won't give it to me, I'll shoot. Why was Washington thrown into a turmoil by this one baby? Stop him! Escape from the planet of the apes. Now, the biggest, the newest, the most exciting of all the planet of the apes pictures. Climaxed by the spectacular revolt of the apes. The most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First pampered as pets, then abused as servants, now oppressed as slaves.
all security forces, police, militia, and reserve defense units. See that every entrance into the city is cordoned off immediately. Yes, sir. Our control methods to include the use of tear gas and sedation darts. There will be but one control method. Shoot to kill. Ready? the screen explode as man faces ape in the ultimate revolution. Where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! <laughs> my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we are returning to the planet of the apes we're going to be talking about Escape from the Planet of the Apes and Conquest, the Planet of the Apes. And we are indeed in good fortune and good company. Our friend, Lord Bloodraw, is joining the program today. Welcome again, Lord Bloodraw. Ah, my lords and ladies, it's been far too long. I am so glad to be here, especially to discuss Planet of the Apes, my first geek love. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Straight away, let's kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob, get the ball rolling. Bob, uh, why don't you share a little uh, something-something with us about these two fine films? Something-something? Well, I would encourage all the listeners, if you haven't already, we do have two episodes up, one on Planet of the Apes and the other one on Beneath the Planet of the Apes. So hit pause, go back, listen to those, and then you'll be caught up. (laughs) We'll wait. And then here, yeah. that's right. Let's just stay, sit here and wait. And then we'll talk about escape and conquest. Now, if you remember back beneath the planet of the apes, what happened at the end? The whole planet was blown up. Everything was done. They're finished. Zap. And uh, that's what the studio thought as well. However, it made money. So anytime a movie makes money, what do you got to do? You got to make another movie. So what do you do? Well, they uh, decided to uh, say that Cornelius and Zira and was it Milo, I think? Dr. Milo. Dr. Milo had got Taylor's ship running again, and they were able to escape before the planet blew up. And so, of course, going in the opposite direction, they go in the opposite direction of the timeline, and they wind up on Earth in uh, 1971, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's 
this movie, I think, is a, a lot more, well, the first half anyway, is a lot more lighthearted than the first two films. <laughs> the first half. Well, it seems yeah. like it always kind of struck me. It never really struck me as a theatrical film. It kind of almost seemed like a like a TV movie, yes. you know, the way it was shot yeah. and things. And, of course, now that they're on Earth, they don't have to have, they don't have to build sets. They don't have to do effects. I mean, they're, they have the ape makeup, and they're in modern society or modern back mm -hmm. then. And so, you know, it obviously saved on money because they slashed the budget to like $2 million for this movie. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, because only three... Make, only three ape makeups were needed, and right. <laughs> you can tell that from the scenes where they're in the zoo and they're next to a gorilla oh. that looks like it's a suit from the 1940s. Like it could be Bob Burns. <laughs> right. <laughs> next to them is the most uncon... It could have been Bob Burns, right? This it could have been Bob. gorilla. But, uh, yeah, so uh, they definitely say... And think about, think about two million, and I know... Movie dollars went a lot further back then in budgets, but I mean, well, I just read the other day this new Avatar is like four hundred million dollar budget, oh. and here they made Escape from the Planet of the Apes, probably a much superior film, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> for two million dollars. Two million dollars, you get apes in society. Four hundred million, you get a bunch of blue sea monkeys. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I did. I think I saw Planet of the Apes and Beneath on TV, but I did see Escape in the theaters mm. and consequently Conquest and Battle. Um, but again, you know, even though it was the first one I saw in theaters, it still has that kind of TV movie feel. Like well, I say, I for about half of the movie and then it takes this 180 degree dark turn and there's suddenly right. fugitives running from the law all the way up to the, the tragic end. Right. Part of, I think part of what gives it that TV feel, at least for me, is the soundtrack. Because even though we had Jerry Goldsmith back for this, he gives us a very contemporary sounding soundtrack with a lot of very kind of, you know, funky TV kind of music, almost like what you would hear on you know, a detective show or something of the time, there are occasionally notes of, uh, of of the music from Planet of the Apes. Every once in a while, you'll get some percussive tones and things. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, it, it is a very contemporary sounding soundtrack. And, and it just, to me, it sounded like, oh, did I turn on like Streets of San Francisco or something like that? Maddox! Yeah, it just, <laughs> it, it you know, it pulls you back into that time frame. So it... It's very dated in that regard, I think. Well, I mean, if you look back at or listen back at Planet of the Apes and Beneath, I mean, those those soundtracks are very, uh, well, Planet of the Apes is very experimental. Yes. In yeah. the soundtrack. Brilliant you know? soundtrack. And then Beneath, you know, still, it wasn't your pedestrian soundtrack. It was still, right. you know, somewhat avant-garde. But, yeah, once you get to Escape, then it's... Uh, Pretty much a cookie cutter type of soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And of course, Escape has my favorite scene in Escape is during the interrogation when Cornelius explains how the Planet of the Apes came about. 
which is problematic in itself because I was going to say no. I mean, well, there's a there's a comic book a thing that kind of explains that the doc Doctor Milo was kind of the uh, the um, uh, the uh, Nikola Tesla of his people, <laughs> so he was able to get special permission to go into the Forbidden Zone. He found Taylor's ship underwater, brought it up, got it to work somehow miraculously. <laughs> uh, was able to contact, uh, and, and while there, found these historic documents that explained how it happened. But when Cornelius explains it, it harkens back to the original novel which was a mass plague, kills all dogs and cats, humans need pets, they start taking in smaller mammals, they get bigger, 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 finally they start taking in the great apes, and they realize the apes can be trained. The apes can do things around the house, and over a period of time they become slaves. And in the novel it's more, it's not a violent revolt, in the novel as the apes take on more and more responsibility, humans regress <laughs> to a point where a human makes a request of an ape and the ape just says, no, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Well, he does point where that out. He's, he's like, you know, and then finally, you know, the apes, you know, discovered Aldo. one word. Yeah. No. Aldo, Aldo says no, which is yeah. interesting. And also um, Cornelius says, that process takes like 700 years. From when, the time when actually, when you get to conquest, it took right. 20, right? It's eight, eight, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> it like yeah. 1990. The distant future of 1991. Right. Yeah. And it's Caesar that says no. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't explain the time, you know, c- compacting of time, seven centuries into 20 years. But I like to think on some level, Aldo in some other reality would have been the ape that said no. And what kind of future would they have had if it was Aldo? Well, you have to wonder. I mean, even <laughs> though they got in the ship and they went back in time or whatever and they wound up on Earth, is it the same Earth? No. Is it a different yeah. Earth? Different. And it just takes the same path because of, uh, because be of Caesar Earth. being born? Yeah, because well, it took different amount of time, totally different amount of time, a much shorter yeah. amount of time. That's the thing. You get into all these time paradoxes, right? right? Right. Because did they create the Planet of the Apes by going back? But then how could there have been a Planet of the Apes if they did not go back and they, you know, it's like a multiverse. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it, I, absolutely. It is a multiverse. Yeah, it definitely but, is. But yeah, you get the thing that always confused me about, you know, Cornelius's explanation was like, wait a minute, in the first film, all of the apes assume that apes have always been on the top of the food chain because this or is what the they've sacred. been taught, right? right? Yeah, the sacred school. And and you know, that's what they've been told and that's what Zaya says. But I guess we could say, well, Cornelius was digging around. He had found that cave with the doll and everything. So maybe he finally figured out that, you know, oh, yeah, humans did precede us. Yeah. But, yeah, it is a little bit off. I mean, that's the whole issue with the whole Planet of the Apes, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, saga or whatever. There's so many inconsistencies, right? Even though we enjoy it so much, it's like, eh, this doesn't quite... (laughs) But then again, you know, if, if Dr. Milo could go in the Forbidden Zone and find the ship and all that, maybe he made some discoveries. 
Yeah. They had a whole lot of times flying through space that he could have filled Cornelius and Zira in on, yeah, you know what really happened? (laughs) Check this out. (laughs) Of course, Milo doesn't quite uh, come to a a, a pretty end with that horrific looking gorilla. Well, I, I tell you what, I would pay good money to see a TV show based on Bob's theory of Milo just flying through time and space. <laughs> yes. It's like you could do like time tunnel of the planet of the apes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because as a kid, we, we you know, watch these. And no problem. 15 years, 20 years. Milo. <laughs> it's interesting. It's great. Now in our. In our adult years, it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, hold on. 700 years, 20 years, what? A little too yeah. much time on our hands, perhaps. Um, but, I, you know, it's interesting. I know a lot of people enjoy this movie or, or think this, you know, is their favorite apes movie after Planet of the Apes. And I assume that's because we get so much, there's so much focus on Zira and Cornelius. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and fantastic it, actors portraying those characters. I mean, right. you have to hats off. I mean, they such a oh, great yeah. job. Right, you have Roddy McDowell and Kim Kim Hunter. Right, uh, you know they they give probably their best performance. Well, maybe I think Kim Hunter has a really good performance in the first film. She gets a lot of screen time in the first one. This might be um, well. Roddy McDowell, I think his best performance is probably in Conquest. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. But still, the, as a couple, they're very endearing, and, you know, they win you over pretty quickly in the film. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have a great rapport. And then I was watching one of the specials, and uh, one person brought up that Roddy McDowell had this certain way of walking where it's almost like he would lean forward and that would kind of lead the walk and his feet would follow. And Kim Hunter had the same walk. So the theory was that at some point, Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter got together and he told her, okay, here's how we should walk. And that she kind of followed because they both have the same type of, of gait or shuffle, you know, throughout the movie, especially when you see them walking, along the hills of LA with all the lights in the background and they're, and they're walking towards the uh, abandoned ship and all that. And yeah, you can see, yeah, he's out in front and she's kind of shuffling behind him, but same type of, same type of walk. And I had heard, um, they, according to Roddy McDowell's request, when they were first doing the fittings, he said that it doesn't look ape enough. Can we put hunches Right at like the base of the neck to bring the costume up a bit. So they did. Then later on, I believe it was for Escape when they were doing ADR, they had to re um, re record some of the dialogue. They just went in to do it, and he looked at Kim Hunter and said, "This doesn't feel right, does it?" He's no, I can't get into character. So they actually had without the costume, just the hunch strapped on like <laughs> one piece of appliance just put on, so they right. could feel it and then they then they went in and they were able to do it which is interesting yeah so much of the character i mean is those actors but it's those actors manipulating that makeup well, yeah, they, those, they were also talking characters. about roddy mcdowell with his makeup uh he had one request is that they hollow out the nose 
And when they hollowed out the nose, he was able to, because he's able to kind of scrunch his nose. Oh, right. And he was able to do that once they hollowed it out. Yeah. Otherwise, it looks like a mask if it's yeah, too yeah. still. And then he also found that if he blew into the mask, the cheeks would puff out. Yeah. And he does that in, in Escape and in Conquest. And in the first yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. When when uh, Taylor kisses Zira, he does that in anger. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting, the input that he had on the makeup and, and yeah. the constitution of the costume, I guess, if he had the hunch oh, yeah. in that. Pre-CGI, they acted. Actors. Actors. <laughs> now, the ending of this PG-rated film mm-hmm. is pretty brutal. Just how How many kids were just traumatized i think it was that. even g wasn't it i think this was, was g? g i think it was g i, I think, think they were all g, g yeah. except conquest was pg oh yeah I, I don't know how you get away with shooting the mother and the baby and then the father falls off the top of the tanker he's shot oh. uh, it's it's pretty i mean the whole thing is pretty dark and, after and just a, the one point. which is a really powerful scene where she takes the baby and drops him into yeah. the water. Yes. And then goes to lay next to Cornelius. Mm-hmm. And when Cornelius is shot, that in that indescribable noise he makes, just, I found that to me was incredibly touching. This ape of science, this enlightened creature that, could only make this this primitive grunt at yeah. the end, this horrible like death rattle at the end. Just well, plus when he falls on was, the deck, oh his legs! You know, legs. Obviously, it's a yeah. mannequin or whatever, but yeah, he just falls on his legs and they just like snap in this unnatural. But then when he's laying there, they have the legs kind of his legs are kind of bent up. But this is the fine entertainment art. Parents dropped us off at the theater to watch. <laughs> hey, yes. it's rated G. What the heck? <laughs> it was rated G. Well, I, I blame the grape juice plus. <laughs> grape juice plus. That's right. <laughs> well, we can't get past um, what would be considered the villain. But again, he's probably not really a villain. That's right. Doctor Otto Hausslein, right? Played by Eric Braden, who. Huh? Even though I saw him in Planet of the Apes, I saw him much more frequently as Victor Newman in Young and the Restless, the soap opera my mom watched. Sorry, the only the only soap opera I ever saw was uh, Dark Shadows. So. <laughs> but uh, Hasline, although, you know, because we love the apes, we consider him a villain. But is he really a villain? Because he is seeing this future where apes are going to take over the planet. So he feels like he has to pursue them. He has to protect humanity. So he's he's kind of ruthlessly going after them. Um, no, I'm sure he, he's he, he, he sees like, himself as the hero. Yeah, he's sort of like a Dr. Zaius. You know, he's like a mirror exactly. image. To Zeus, right? In a way. Exactly, yeah. But, you know, in, in thinking about it, like they interrogated Cornelius so they know how it's going to happen. 
it's not that the children of Cornelius and Zira are going to lead the apes in rebellion. It's this long, drawn-out process. So it's kind of a it, they're kind of jumping to a conclusion that they're going to that that the child of Cornelius Cornelius and Zira is, are going to lead a revolt. Well, I you think know, that's, I think that's, more that's, of it is kind of they think that the the child of these two intelligent apes is going to be the one that introduces intelligence into the gene pool of apes in general as, as, as reproduction happens in that. Would, do, would they have, would they mate with an unintelligent ape? A- apes <laughs> We've apes, seen right? what a gor- what an unintelligent gorilla is like. Well, yeah, but these are chimpanzees. <laughs> so, well, yeah. And even you know, where, yeah, at the end, when he says lament, and he's saying this is like a spark of many embers that will, you know, eventually lead to well, yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere uh, along the line. Because if you look at that chimpanzee in the cage, what was it, Heloise? Oh, another right. another terrible costume, right? <laughs> the the chimpanzees and the gorillas and everybody all got remarkably better looking. In like twenty years' time, <laughs> the, <Didn't they? laughs> you know. Cause, cause, hey, they're yeah, looking pretty good now. Right, that's, that's like there, fast evolution. There would be nobody <laughs> for him to mate with. Well, and know. not to jump the gun from. I mean, we we're going to talk about conquest, but from the end of conquest to the beginning of battle, which is another, I think, twenty ten years, ten years, twenty years. I yeah, think can, yeah. you've got orangutans talking about quantum physics. <laughs> when they can't even speak by the end of the movie, yeah. oh, those apes are fast well, learners. It's that so radiation so. on the planet that's like it's you know. the radiation. Marvel did an incredible comic book, ma- comic magazine series on Planet of the Apes, really? and that was one of their attempts to kind of explain it. Was well, the the radiation and oh, or the uh, the virus that was brought back from. Space oh. killed dogs and cats and increased ape intelligence exponentially. I'm jumping like way ahead now, but that's what was kind of interesting about the new trilogy right. Rise right. and Dawn and War, yeah. and the fact that it was all spurred on by an Alzheimer's drug. Yeah, that that's right. they experimented right. on apes. And it increased the intelligence mm-hmm. and became, well, uh, I guess. Are, are you referring to the Tim Burton? Oh, hell no. no. <laughs> In fact, I'm sure we'll do more ape episodes, but I don't know if we'll do that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a really clever way for them to explain how, you know, these apes started this revolution and how they took over things and everything by yeah, just because somewhere it. somehow there had to be something that sparked it right yeah. yeah and this experimental alzheimer's drug was definitely an explanation of what could have mm-hmm. sparked the whole thing oh yeah yeah and why it's not it. like caesar implanted intelligence in all these apes no he distributed this drug and as they mm-hmm. took it, they all became more intelligent. But in getting back into the 70s, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take a step back. That's right. We'll do that episode sometime later. Well, you know, Bob, you bring up a good point, though. I mean, 
these medicines trying to fix things either you're going to create like a planet of the apes a planet of zombies a planet you know <laughs> who knows what science creates these days right and it, this was it was a virus that was in the new planet of the apes films it wasn't just a drug it was a virus right so that explains how it spread to all the other mm. apes in the world and humans in the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah killing off humans and increasing ape intelligence but as far as escape goes, escape, yeah, uh, yeah, I uh, think that's that was part of the fear that this intelligent ape would then kind of introduce intelligence into apes in general, or you know. And again, you know, they were talking about seven hundred years, so it's like, okay, you know, there's a mating of one intelligent ape with a not so intelligent ape, and then they give birth yeah. to a semi-intelligent oh, yeah. ape. And then over 700 years and generations, then that's that would explain. Yeah, and how know, do you tell that? It's not like an immediate revolution <laughs> and, you know, here we go. Right. It would be something on the scope of 2001 if they tried to do it that way. Yeah. Like Andromeda strain. Oh, Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that that's podcast worthy. I think we should do something on the Andromeda strain. <laughs> Great film we, and relevant, right? Yeah, relevant. very much. We haven't done the like the films of Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. Huh, that could be an interesting one. But anyway, back to the seventies. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, movie ends in an incredibly depressing. Well, no, it ends. It, it towards the end is incredibly depressing. But then we have that ray of hope <laughs> that again felt very tacked on. <laughs> the baby swap the baby swap with um armando oh we yeah, we forgot to mention ricardo montalban is, oh, uh, montalban is in armando. uh he, he's good in escape but man he is really good in uh conquest he is he was just a hell of an actor he really you know helps. and i gotta say i heard somebody you know when i was doing some prep for this uh i saw some video where some guy referred to him as a, a character actor and he said well he didn't do much before he did uh, fantasy island and i was like what <laughs> i was like are you kidding me you know and i hate to like say this but i think there's a, a lot of folks out there who just if it didn't happen like in their time frame they right. don't know anything about it uh-huh. it's like oh my god did you ever see all these films with esther williams and all these Ooh. you know it was just like, come on, dude. I always kind of like looked at Ricardo Maltaban as that when he's in a movie, he's pretty much Ricardo Maltaban. Much like Sean Connery is always kind of Sean Connery when he's in a movie. Yeah, but it's good to be Ricardo Maltaban. Oh, no, it's it's excellent. (laughs) I mean, I always said if I wanted someone to like narrate the story of my life, it would either be (laughs) Darren McGavin or or Ricardo Maltaban. (laughs) I don't know. When you look at the characters – that like geeks like us primarily know him from, which is Khan, right. of course. Then Rourke from Fantasy Island, yeah. And then Armando. Those are three pretty distinct characters, mm-hmm. really. You know, so uh, he was he carried off. He could do characterizations. He was pretty good. Before that, he was just he was the Latin lover. Yeah. Oh yeah. Before that, he, he was primarily the Latin lover. He did, yeah, he did a lot of that. He was kind of typecasted by Hollywood in that role. Yeah. 
Yeah. But uh, rich, rich Corinthian leather. Yeah, he used. But yeah, no, he was. Uh, his whole plan was to smuggle Cornelius and Zira off to Florida, yeah. and yeah. release them in the Everglades to create their own <laughs> colony. How's that for a cryptid? Which yeah, yeah would have been really well, interesting. I these two hairy people and they were sitting there talking and kind of like getting dropped off on SETI Alpha 5. That's right. It's a little disturbing because there's only the two of them and then any kids they might have. And I don't really want to think too much further than that. There's one big inbred colony. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like hillbilly apes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Florida chainsaw massacre on the planet of the apes. We'll let that lie. The hills have apes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I may be your uncle, but I'm still your daddy. You will respect me. (laughs) But he's like, he's all ready to be subservient, too, because he's like telling Zira, you know, if if it's God's will that we be conquered or that we be uh, ruled, you know, I hope that it would be someone like you, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he's already does to bow to his ape masters. He loves animals. I mean, yeah, you know. He likes yeah, them. Just willing to let it. It's the future. It's coming. What am I going to do about it? Right. Yeah. That's it. Well, he's all, he's happen. also he also talks about how he does not like people who try to alter destiny. Right. And this, you know, obviously, this whole ape planet of the apes is destiny for the earth, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it could still be. Who knows? Who knows? You know, there was another Star Trek connection in there. Uh, William Wyndham? The pre- yeah, the oh, president. Yes, of course. <laughs> William Wyndham. William Wyndham improves anything he's in. He's, he's a wonderful <laughs> actor. I always liked him a lot. Yeah, president of the United States. Playing it with this kind of southern accent. Right, yeah. Yeah. And just kind of with an attitude of like, well, you know, people like these apes. <laughs> the but a reasonable like man. Yeah. He, yeah, he was re- pretty level-headed and even killed yeah. to the thing. Yeah. And he just said, okay, leave it up to the commission. I'll, I'll abide by their decision. Leave it mm-hmm. up to the commission. <clears throat> I mean, it's basically That's- Dr. Otto that, like, spurns this thing on yeah right well the interesting thing about Hasseline too is he's mentioned in the first film first and second film I think because they talk about Hasseline's theory of of time travel and the Mm -hmm. Hasseline curve and Mm -hmm. so this guy is obviously uh, well he was advisor science advisor to the president so you know yeah the the Hasseline theory of time dilation which he explains laughably. <laughs> Here we have an artist painting a picture of an artist painting a picture. An picture, artist painting a picture, painting a picture, picture. What the hell are you talking about? What? what? Well, like the guy, what does this have to do with anything? What do you the, mean? The interviewer like looks at him and then he just has such a contemptuous, like if you cannot understand this, you are a moron. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. But the art to the point of infinity when you are the observed and the observer. And the observer. And the, and the, and the, 
Does it mention the speed of light at all? Does it? Does it? Relativity? Nothing. It's an artist painting a picture. Not painting a picture. Not painting. Hilarious. Well, <laughs> that's really. Pretty, pretty but when pretty. you're a kid, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> yes, I've I've learned some deep truths now. <sighs> so are we? On the conquest, or is there anything else about escape? Does anyone have there any was, other comments on I, escape? There was I just, just want to end it with. Oh, go ahead, Walker. Well, I had one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was that um, I think the beginning of the film is really well done because you see the the space capsule, and you know, there's that surprise where they open their helmets, and it's like, oh, it's apes. Um, but they did film a sequence where they they had Zira and Cornelius and Milo in the spaceship watching the Earth be destroyed so that they connected it back to beneath the planet of the apes. Uh, but then when they were looking at putting the whole film together, they just felt like it it just didn't work having that at the beginning of the film and then going to the, you know, the capsule landing in the water and everything they just thought eh, just it's not working plus they were going to have to put in the special effects that was probably the main reason they were going to have to put in the special effects of showing the earth blowing up and you know whatever was happening to the capsule so they they ditched whatever uh footage they have of filming the apes inside the space capsule and they just went with what they had which i think was probably a good Good decision. That was a good call. Well, I thought yeah. it would be you know an interesting surprise to have them take their helmets off and their apes. Oh yeah. Even mm-hmm. though Planet of the Apes is in the title of the movie, but you know. <laughs> yeah. And it, and just thinking about it, like Cornelius and Zira did not think flight was possible. Now they're on a spaceship, traveling through space. How were they not losing their minds? Yeah. Milo obviously was like just taking it all in strike because he's the one who supposedly built, you know, resurrected the ship, but they must have been losing their. That would have been a funny scene. It's just all of them going, But too, it's kind of a twist because if you think about the original ending to the novel Planet of the Apes. Yes. And they return to Earth and they get to NASA and they come off and they're greeted by apes. Yeah, like oh, you know, we're back on the planet, whatever. Um, and now in here, in this one, same thing. They get to the to the planet. They remove their helmets, and you know, it's all men, right. men uh, that's that's greeting them, and you know, they're oh, yeah. the surprise or whatever. So it's kind of a twist on the ending of the, the original novel. Right. But well, and to mention the unmentionable, Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Oh. That's the way it ended. As he goes back to Earth, and yeah. it's. They're apes. So I, at the end of that movie, I thought, okay, that sucked. But maybe the sequel will be better if there is a sequel. That's maybe. exactly what I thought, Lord Blood Raw, was, okay, the right? movie just sucked. But that was interesting, the way that they ended yeah. it. Yeah, so we've got the potential of the sequel possibly being better, better, than, the, uh, better than the original. Yeah. Which never happened, and probably, probably couldn't get much so. voice. Well, look, one, one of the we'll, we'll move on to conquest, but one of the best effects that I uh, enjoyed was the ending. Mama, mama, oh. mama. 
<laughs> yeah, they could have done it like twice and called it good. Yeah, yeah. exactly, Bob. Instead of yeah, looping the like, film and you can see it kind of jump back, you know. Back and forth, back and forth, back and Gotta forth. Got to make sure the kids sitting in the audience get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the funny I know thing. The first time I saw Planet of the Apes, I mean, I saw it, I want to say the year, I think I saw it in 1970. It was re-released or something because I know I saw it in the theaters. And in 68, I was five. So I don't think I would have remembered. But at the end of the movie, my first thought was, wow, they had a Statue of Liberty, too. (laughs) Wow. And it was like five minutes later, I went, oh, (laughs) that's what he meant by they blew it up. Okay. Yeah. I thought Uh, it was just very upset they blew up the statue. (laughs) Every time we talk about Planet of the Apes ending, I always go back to little Bobby Draper on on the TV show, Matt. And he sees the ending of the movie like... Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I didn't realize about that ending, which That's even bad. as a kid, when I they show the mama, mama, I was like, <laughs> they're just running the film back and forth, aren't oh, yeah, they? Yeah. Uh, what I didn't know until I watched one of the uh, extras on the Blu-ray was that they put a false nose on that little chimpanzee. To make they it look did. more yeah, like put makeup on Cornelia it. and Zeres. Yeah, it was it was they showed him oh. putting a little appliance on the, the chimp. Oh. It's like Never okay. Noticed. Interesting, yeah. But how many would uh, notice? Yeah. Years later. Well, you've got quite a few seconds there with him going back and forth to look at the nose. So. Before he batted the makeup away. (laughs) (laughs) Tore it off and ate it. (laughs) Picking his nose. Okay, kids, let's uh, let's jump in our ape ship and move over to Conquest. You know what I thought you said? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to uh, jump forward in time 20 years to the distant future of 1991. 1991. North America. 1991. Other than the first one is my favorite ape film. I, yeah. Well, you know what, though? I like Beneath a lot because it's really weird. So I, I think I'm tied right now. Okay. I, uh, I like them all. I mean, they all have like pieces that, you know. But anyway, so, so 1991, in the 20 years from Escape to Conquest. Yeah, what the hell happened? It, <laughs> it seems like the United States dissolves because what you've got is a city, a, a series of city states mm-hmm. that are they're fascistic city states. So it did some kind of civil war. Like, so you had, oh, this is interesting. Oh, my God. So you had the plague, then you had an now, incredible Yeah, they said the plague unrest. was like 1983. Right. Yeah. According to the statute. So you had the plague, then you had political unrest that led to the dissolution of the United States and led to fascistic city-states. Well, and I think the, wow. the failure of Snake Plissken to... Uh, for his mission, kind of attributed to this. <laughs> but yeah, there is something that's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe probably like many 
interrelated things. We, now that we've had the experience yes. of a pandemic, we understand how That's social, economic, and political things all right. Right. Connect, well, right? Also, we can see how things can change really fast. Exactly. Was Trump's yes. father running oh, yeah. for office in 91 and that alternate so, future? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but it it is, I mean, in some of this stuff, you know, you could say, well, maybe it's a little too on the nose having these guys running around in these black uniforms and it's oh, very they're straight up Nazi uniform. Right. They're they're SS uniforms, but it's like, well, you know, these people are inspired by certain things. They tend to emulate things and it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see that it is happen. Sadly sure. not so far fetched now. Right. And yeah, the the aesthetics of the movie is interesting too, because if you look at it, everyone's dressed in black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. the apes, right? You had what was it? The gorillas were in red, red. and the chimpanzees yeah. were in green. The orangutans hadn't really even shown up yet. I think there was like one orangutan in the movie. There were a few. They were like in yellow. Yeah, yeah. and yep. then um, Ricardo Maltaban, he's got the black jacket and turtleneck, but he's got like khaki pants. Mm-hmm. And then the other character, I don't remember his name. Um, Harry Rhodes played him. Oh, McDonald. Yeah, he. uh, Yeah, he had some color in his. He was wearing like grays and blues, but everybody else was in black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. It's good decision to make to have them stand out. Yeah. By the way, this is the only time we ever see an orangutan woman, an orangutan female. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, right at the beginning there, and we've still never seen a uh, female gorilla. Oh, that's really odd. We yeah, saw true. a gorilla. We saw a gorilla child in the first film yes. in the funeral, right? Right, right. But there was no women in that scene. No, I guess I, you're right. No, you never see a gorilla woman. That's really peculiar. So where did that gorilla child come from? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting aesthetic choice, and just like the locations. They wound up shooting on, which are very stark, and you know, have a very um, I don't I don't know have the architectural terms, but have almost a prison-like or militaristic-like. It's um, UCLA, isn't it? Well, they did um, UC Irvine for a few shots, yeah. but most of it was Century City, which they had just That's, started building. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that Nakatomi Plaza? You are just full of it today, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the Century City, which had been uh, the back lot, 20th century back lot for many years, and they had sold that that land off, and the developers had started building, you know, Century City, which had some high rises and shopping, and it was supposed to be very modern for the time. uh, you know, on one hand, it was an economic decision because they could easily film right there. Also, they didn't have to show any, you know, futuristic cars. You notice there are no cars. Everybody's walking everywhere. Um, but also, just the looks of it, they they thought it looked futuristic, but it also has kind of a stark look to it. It, you know, it kind of reminded me of that Star Trek episode. Yes. Uh, 
Oh God, what was you, the name of what those Operation little Annihilate? Operation Annihilate. Yeah, yeah that I think was on monsters. UCLA. I think that mm-hmm. was UCLA, wasn't it? It was I on. I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah, I was on a, a local college campus. I could be wrong though. And and it's funny because it it looked modern, but yet it was so dark. At really, you know, at least to me, um, it wasn't like this bright, shining city of the future. You know yeah, what I no. mean? Please, so. start. Yeah. Which is probably more realistic than, uh, <laughs> than right. the opposite. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, I thought. So, Armando. Yeah, yeah, no, please go ahead, Lord. I was just going to say, Armando and the the renamed Caesar. Mm-hmm. Well, no, he's not Caesar well, he was, yet. He's he was Milo. No, he was Caesar already. That's what confused me. He, he, I think he addressed him as Caesar at that point. Yeah, yeah. and then so it, he should have been Milo. But when they have him go to the book, he shows them. You know, my name is Caesar. Yeah, because I, I, I made a note of it here early on that Armando had addressed him as Caesar. <laughs> well, unless he, unless he changed his yeah. name just to. To make protect sure they him. don't. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's the because they, yeah, were, I mean, uh, he, they originally named him Milo, but but then again, who would know? I thought he like picked the name Caesar because he realized I am going to. He he knew in advance what he was going to do, what he had to do, so he picked the name of a of a ruler. But in the playbill that they're putting around isn't the name on that milo milo the like milo the incredible trick writer or something like that hmm. that i don't, I don't know i've that seen up. the movie a thousand times and now i'm not, I'm not sure hmm. anyway that's it's a good question i would have to try to find that at some point but uh yeah they he walks um milo slash caesar around and he is obviously appalled because he sees apes as slaves um and basically apes serving man being beaten on the streets and uh at one point he just decides he can't take it anymore and he screams out you lousy human bastards which causes all the trouble i mean if if, if you really think about it i mean aside from you know, at least in this movie, aside from McDonald and Armando, all all men are all humans seem to be assholes. They all seem yeah. to be assholes. Yeah. You know, it's like true. everybody's if they're not beating their apes, they're like belittling them and yelling at them and you know, the way they're correcting them. You know, like slave owners, I guess, but um yeah, yeah I mean the entire race seems like that's the way it is, except for these two characters. Yeah, even the announcements over the the city PA, you know, unattended apes congregating, you know, stop them, take them. It's like, man, this is just... Yeah, it's really weird how the entire focus of the society seems to be controlling the apes. Yeah, like, all right. I mean, they, they knew what they were doing when they made the movie. They, mm-hmm. they knew, I mean, Paul Dane, Paul Dane wrote all the scripts after the original Planet of the Apes. And, you know, he was British and he was looking at what was going on in America, you know, at the time. And he understood the civil rights uh, 
issues and things that were happening. And, and he incorporated that into this story. And I mean, I look at it now and I, I kind of feel like, well, you know, it seems kind of like a, a chancy, risky thing to do, especially when you have this story about apes and you're going to make it about a pseudo racial, you know, uh, struggle. Um, but I think the way that it went over with people, it seemed like it actually went over really well from the understanding of looking back on it. Um, and some of the stuff they incorporated into it, I mean, was really mindful because if you look at like some of the things with McDonald, who was black, mm-hmm. there was like one part I noticed in the film where um, there were two policemen like beating away on an ape and McDonald tells them to stop it. And then after he leaves, uh, one of the policemen says um, he loves apes or something. And then the other guy goes, doesn't it figure? And I was like, man, you yeah. know, it's oh, kind yeah. of shocking dialogue, you know. The yeah. thing is, I was like, he, he tells them to stop beating the ape, and then he's like, you know, tranquilize him and take him away. It's like, all right, so he's not totally. Oh, no, he's uh, still performing his function yeah, yeah. in society. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they were getting off on beating this poor ape. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, that's kind of like know, the first line. It's is... like, you know, whenever something goes on. They could run out there with their sticks and start beating on apes. It's like whether it's a congregation or right. there's that one. Uh, well, the female that uh, Caesar gets together with, she's like sitting alone, and she's got whatever she was supposed to get for her her master. But right. she's like tired, whatever. She's like sleeping on the bench, and they just kind of go up and just start harassing her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and at this point, yeah, so it was cruelty in this movie. To, yeah, absolutely. Caesar separated from Armand, and the cruelty that they show Armand as well, just interrogating him and trying to get him to to admit. You know, and Ricardo Montalban. I mean, he he acted his tush off. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. In those scenes, it, it's um, uncomfortable. Really, at least for me to to watch that, it and is. that one guy, um, Cole. Oh, I don't know the actor's name, but Severn Darden. Yes. Oh, he yeah. is cold. Just yes, cold, bureaucratic, <laughs> exact thing. Just, oh, yeah. You know who he he reminded me of is in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, taught, oh, you yeah. know. The same kind of character, right? Wow, that that's great, Walker. Yeah. Um, but you know, so the separation, and and so Caesar seeing being exposed to all this injustice and and racism, and and unbeknownst to the humans, he's understanding and comprehending. And I love as they integrate him into their programs, and he decides well. Things need to change. And there's not a lot of dialogue, but the way that Roddy McDowell used his eyes and the manipulation of the mask to just kind of give that knowing glance to the different apes and chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. And they would just nod like, OK, we we understand, you know, what you're saying. Yes, master. 
basically, you know, he's like. It's almost like the, he had the, mind control or something. Right, yeah. exactly. Because he wasn't like walking up to apes going, hey, hey, you know, light this restaurant on fire. Yeah. Oh, Miss Apes Philippetti, uh, her order is for flour and sugar. Add four barrels of kerosene to that. And 20 rounds ammunition. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly, yeah. And this this film definitely, for Roddy McDowell specifically, his character has such an incredible arc from oh, yeah. a child, really, really who yeah. weeps when he's left in the city alone to a revolutionary. Yeah. To mm-hmm. a radicalized revolutionary. Yeah. Right. And you have yeah. to figure before that, he was just, he was in the circus. Because when yes. when Armando takes him to hand out leaflets, that's like his first exposure, and his first exposure is seeing all these other apes getting beat up and right. you know harassed, pushed around, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, I I think it, you know, it's it was cool that they didn't like have him yell out the first time he saw an ape being beaten. It was like oh. all this kind of yeah. added up. Pent up, you know, right. until finally right. his rage hit a point where he just had to speak out or yell out. Well, there's a scene where um, Armando has to show him how to walk like a primitive ape, right? Because <laughs> right. he's just walking too upright. <laughs> yeah. Swing your shoulders more, right? Right. You are too intelligent, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did say that this was his favorite role because he felt Cornelius was a little dull, <laughs> you know, that he wasn't that emotive and that uh, with Caesar, he got to be, you know, more emotional and he had more, more to um, actually do in this film. You know, there was a scene too that, that made me laugh where they're like, okay, we're going to breed. We need, you know, two or three gorillas and, and an advanced right. chimpanzee. And so they're, they're escorting them to their, respective breeding areas and they open the door and this female chimpanzee kind of gives this like look and the, well she's yeah. like she's just like in there like princess leo so when you first see princess leo herself it's like what like chimpanzees don't need like a soft bedding and soft <laughs> lights and yeah, it was they had some Barry White playing, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Bob. I, it was great. I, you know, he, he kind of gives that look to the camera like, row, row. He just shrugs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after he gets it on, then he gets the revolution going. So, uh... Oh, breaking news. He got revved <laughs> Sorry. up. Oh. I finally found it. You are absolutely right. He is Caesar. Right. He, <laughs> he is Caesar in the leaflet. So his name... They changed oh, okay. his name to Caesar to avoid yeah. him being Milo. Okay, yeah. For some reason, I thought he was Milo, the trick writer, but yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I, I was a little writer. confused when I watched it this time, too. I was like, oh, he's not Milo, he's Caesar. Okay. It was yeah. kind of like a Superman Clark Kent secret identity thing. He just didn't have glasses. So. There you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he didn't have that medallion on. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, my lord. I was just going to say, speaking of uncomfortable scenes, uh, Caesar's interrogation. Oh, when they when yeah. they finally when they realize Caesar is the intelligent. Oh, they're trying, yeah, they're trying to get him to talk by electrocuting him. Oh, my yeah. God, that's a that's a horrific scene. 
And what does it say? Have have mercy. Have Have pity. pity. Have pity. Have pity. pity. Uh, It's kind of a goofy table because you can kind of tell the the manacles are not really (laughs) they're not really holding them in place, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, Yeah, the way he comes out is bad. Yeah, the, the the shot is bad because it's it's up from his chin. Yeah. It's a medium shot. Yeah, it's a medium shot, but it's up from his chin, and you can see the hole in the top appliance. Yeah, where because if if that hole wasn't there, every time he breathed, he would suck. His nose. So you can see that hole that lets air flow through the through the appliance. Very clearly, so it's like, oh damn, uh, yeah, that was rough. But take away from them. I thought it was interesting that you know when they're electrocuting him, or they're giving him the shock therapy, whatever you want to call it, he's not just like laying on the table and shaking. No, he's like arching his back and yelling and you know screaming and yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if that was uh, yeah. the director told him to do that or if that was Roddy's uh, idea or what. Acting, my friend. Acting. Yeah. But I would bet did, it's McDowell. Yeah. How did he know when McDonald shut off the power? Although the lights didn't shut off on the machine, but he shut off the, the, the power. Dodge, he shut off the table. <laughs> how did he know to still act like he was getting electrocuted? I don't know. Well, I mean, the guy said, you know, <laughs> he's on all that. He, you know, he's on the electric right. table. Just kill him. You know. And then he's when he turned the dials up. Hey, I don't feel it. anything. Yeah. So might as well, you know, that's when he, I think, decided. Time to fake it. Fake it yep, till you make it. do it. Mm, perhaps, right. perhaps. And then my favorite musical moments in that movie start that incredible march. It's probably because there's there's so little music in the rest of the film. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. You know, yeah, yeah. Tom Scott did the music on this. I, I, I know Tom Scott's like a saxophonist or something. He's actually been, oh. um, he played in a, you know, as a, a session guy in a number of bands and stuff or on different music. Uh, why can I not speak today on a number of <laughs> albums and things like that? Uh, but I, I noticed there was a, a lot of silences. And now some of them are effective because like when the, the apes are running through the city and mm-hmm. and everything, a lot of that's effective. But yeah, then they bring in that dun, 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 that, that marching stuff. And then right at the end, the the confrontation, they, they bring in, he brings in some cues from the original Planet of the Apes. That's right. yeah. Yeah. But otherwise... Effective. Yeah, otherwise music is not a lot to get excited about, except at the very end there. I know before the episode we were discussing, there's actually two versions of this movie. Oh, yeah. There's a theatrical version and there's the extended version, which uh, was the the original version that they screened. Mm -hmm. And people were horrified and it was going to get an R rating, and they had to go back and do some snipping and some reshooting, uh, especially at the ending. Incredibly. Maybe uh, Karen can probably cover that better than I can. Well, yeah. I mean, the main thing was when they shot it, uh, they, you know, they were showing a revolt, and so they had people getting shot. They had 
guerrillas throwing people through windows, people set on fire, people get shot in the face. I mean, there was a mm-hmm. lot of bloody stuff happening. Attacking and, dead bodies and beating them to pulp. Yeah. yeah. So there was there was a lot of violence, and and at the end, you know, Caesar is saying, "Hey, you know, this is it. This is our revolution. We've we've taken over. This is our plan of the apes." And Governor Breck, we didn't even discuss Don Murray as Governor Breck. Wow, he is just an over the top, crazy ass villain. Yes. Um, <laughs> at no yeah, point in this movie. You never in this movie think at any point like, well, he, you know, he might have a reason. It's like, no, he's just nuts. Um, The gorillas, the the apes drag him out and, you know, they've got him in the plaza and Caesar's making his proclamations. And and in the original uh, version, the gorillas all raise up their rifles and then they just beat the crap out of him and kill him. And that was... Yeah, yeah, that was that was it, and it ended with fire and blood, and you know, and the the test audiences were like, "Oh goodness, little Timmy is very upset by this." Um, back back to Don Murray real quick to play Governor Brecht. He he looked at Governor Brecht as of just a flat out World War II Nazi. Yep, that's who he was. And Don Murray spoke fluent German. So he went through the script, translated all of his lines to German, <laughs> learned them in German, then as he was acting them in his head, translated it to English to give him that extra deli- – that, that kind of delivery, that kind of um, Spartan, harsh, Germanic uh, tinge to his voice, which was I, a brilliant choice, I think. I thought it was genius. And it was a really gr- – well, two of my favorite moments. One is, uh, is that what you think, boy? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> we got the planet of the dogs on this episode. Uh, right, yeah. When um, Caesar and his apes break into ape command and uh, they've got Breck. And, and he says, "Why?" Caesar says, why have you done this to us? Why? You know, you you... Why did you turn us from pets into slaves? And he basically says, because there's an ape curled up in every man. You, you, he says, essentially says, you are the dark side of ourselves. And Caesar flies into a rage and he lifts up his rifle like he's going to pummel Breck. And then he stops and thinks it over and just says, take him, go. At that moment, he, to me, he becomes a true leader. Because it's like, no, no, I'm not going to kill him. This is for my people. My people have to see him die. My people have to do this. It'll be cathartic for them to do it. So they bring him and lay him down on these steps. And then Caesar gives, I think, one of the great, in my opinion, one of the greatest speeches in film history. I think that speech is amazing. Uh, McDonald asks, uh, says, um, do you really think this, this can succeed? And Caesar says, where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will crouch and conspire and plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. The day when he finally and self-destructively turns his weapons against his own people, uh, weapons against his own people, something like that. 
and it goes on from there and it's just it builds it builds it builds and that day is upon you now that i get chills every damn time i see that scene and for it to end with brett being uh pummeled into jam on those steps by those apes felt like the right end Mm -hmm. now the tacked on end where lisa looks up and says no (laughs) then he gives the the obviously tacked on speech which Roddy mcdowell wasn't even on camera during he adr'd it he recorded his he recorded his dialogue and then they put like you know far shots near shots close-ups where they got the lip syncing kind of right, that kind of thing. When he says, but now we'll put away our weapons and those of us who aren't human can afford to be humane and da 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 da. That was tacked on and it felt disappointing. Well, yeah, there's a whole thing that about like, 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 I say they added God into it. You know, if God meant for us yeah. to rule, then he meant for us to rule with compassion. And so, yeah, it really softened the ending. And that was the ending yeah. that everybody saw until, you know, the home video releases. But. Right. And it was the ending that they were going to base the sequel on. Right. Because with the original ending, the sequel was going to be Caesar as a mad despot mm. who was overthrown by his own people because he had he had gone insane. But they tacked on the softer ending, so we got Battle for the Planet of the Apes, which is my comfort film. It's, you know, it's like there's no... no there are no great stakes. Talk about feeling like a TV movie. That feels like a TV movie. Oh, yeah. Correct. Battle feels like a TV. It's much, much smaller stakes, smaller, way smaller budget. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, indeed. We were already on a small budget. I think this was yeah. 1.7 million. Escape was two. So every, t- every time we're going down, down, down. Okay. But they were still oh, making it, money. It's still oh, yeah. Money. I know. Each right. time it's a success. So you'd think they'd. Throw him more money, but yeah, each time it's a success. Let's make another one, but do it twenty five percent cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, you recognize where the apes one piece suits came from. Where, I, where, I did not to the bottom of the but, sea. Uh, yeah, uh, those are crewmen's. Those are crewmen's suits from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Interesting. <laughs> they also got other help from Merlin Allen because the uh, what was it the command control center was f- from uh, city beneath the sea and then I think some of the computers came from uh, the time tunnel. I, I'm sure it's true. Yeah. So sure. yeah. yeah. Anyway, a lot of a lot of Irwin Allen in this one. Oh, I'm sure it's the producers like digging through the prop shops at 20th Century Fox and grabbing whatever they could. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God we didn't see Robbie the Robot show up. (laughs) (laughs) He could have. (laughs) Some dome in the background or something could have been his plexiglass. uh, yeah, exactly. Jeez, we could have had apes versus robots. Yeah, I'd pay good money to see that. Battle of the, <laughs> battle of the robots on the planet of the apes. <laughs> or have some apes show up on a planet of robots. <laughs> Get your damn robot hands off me. <laughs> Get your damn metal claws off of me. There you go. <laughs> you damn dirty robot. 
<laughs> so, uh, so I don't know. Are we talked out on conquest? Are we got any, a little uh, more to go? Or? I, I think uh, unless there's any last, uh, you know. All right. Well, we're gonna kick Just the uh, poda can down the road a little, and and we'll get into the other film and uh, you know TV series and and whatnot. And gotta get the cartoon in there, sir. Yeah. So. Uh, this is the point in the show, though, where we have our censor sweep, and being that we have Lord Bloodraw with us, please enlighten us, Lord Bloodraw. What what programs? What what shows? What uh, what do you have uh, out there for our listeners? Well, my lords and ladies, I want to invite all of you to go to YouTube.com/slash/LordBloodraw, where you'll find all of the shows I've been working on. You'll find episodes of Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Rack and Theater, in which I host the best, worst, and wildest horror and science fiction films ever made. You'll find my podcast, Lord Blood Draws Nerve Racking Auditorium, where I host old-time horror radio shows. You can also get that podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Google, Amazon, everywhere, but you can also find it on um, YouTube. My latest series is called Captain Paxar's Star Cadet Hour. And this is basically... If you're around our age, it's the kind of show you'd run home from school to watch. Uh, it is um, it presents a, a classic old time sci-fi TV series. Uh, Flash Gordon, Captain Zero, Space Patrol, Space Angel, all of that stuff in uh, with a unique uh, host, Captain Paxar of the Interdimensional Peace Force. So uh, you can check that out. That new episode of that drops every Saturday. New episode of um, the Nerve Racking Theater drops every Friday. And the podcast as well drops every Saturday. There's also uh, another show that I'm working on called, um, or been working on, called The Unified Fear Theory, which are uh, video essays on various aspects of horror. And the second episode has been held up because I'm retooling a few things with uh with the concept so the second episode will probably not be out until after the first of the year but the first episode called the life cycle of movie monsters is up there for you to check out um there's also a lot of other things on that channel so please go to um, uh, youtube.com slash lord blood and check out all the shows there please like and subscribe and comment um every month at if you're in the san francisco bay area at the Arinda Theater, I host Chiller Diller Theater, which is we present classic horror and science fiction films. We're we're dark in December, but we're coming back January. Well, it's it's the third the third Saturday night of the month, and I don't know what that date is right now. But in January, we are coming back with King Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, classic! Nice. Yes, yeah. and so that's eight thirty. Uh, 8.30 every third Saturday night of the month and throughout the month, throughout the year we're going to have present, be presenting classic horror and sci-fi films uh, in a classic old time uh, movie palace with a full bar which is wonderful so, <laughs> <laughs> so be sure to come out for that at the Arinda Theater uh, and you can get all this other information as well at uh, my website lordbloodraw.com awesome so thank you, thank you for that 
Well, uh, Lord Bloodroth, thank you for joining Planet 8 again. We always enjoy your company and your views on, on whatever we're discussing. Thank you very much. Always great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And we have the ultimate goal that someday we'll have all these Planet Apes films covered and listeners can go ape by just listening <laughs> to Planet Ape from Planet Apes all the way through the new movies and whatever. Well, yes. Yeah. We will definitely have Lord Blood Raw back on for the next go round. So, oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Hey, uh, that brings this program, this show, this episode to a close. I want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Share the uh, excitement of, of Lord Blood Raw's nerve wracking theater and Planet Eight podcast. Um, stay safe. Take care of yourselves until we meet again. Peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Today, apes on the five continents will be imitating tomorrow.